0: all right what is going on everybody welcome back to another serious angler podcast as always i'm your host bailey eigbret and joined with me is the captain mr andy Full. what's going on buddy oh you know just uh going to pick up my boat well by the time we hear
1: this i will have picked up my boat and fished for the first time so i'm Mm -hmm. pretty excited about that lake Erie is almost ice free so we're about to start catching some big old smallies
0: what's up with you dude I, uh, I got out, so I, yesterday was my technically third time out on water, open water finally up here in New York. And uh, first time I got out, I <laughs> tried a brand new lake that I'd never been to ever in New York, which is kind of hard to say because like we have a lot of lakes, but we don't have like Minnesota a lot of lakes. Yeah. Um, and it was, so that was pretty exciting, honestly, to go you know explore a new place. And I was greeted with 36 degree water. And obviously that's not always the most welcoming site, especially when you're chasing a smaller lake in New York that I think only has large mouth. I don't even know if it has smallmouth in it yeah. and uh, struggled obviously to like go after anything. So um, when I, in the midst of this, it's also like my second or it's probably my third time uh, since owning Mega Live actually using it. So I'm still trying to dial in my system and all that jazz. Um, and I noticed I was trying to obviously focus on bass and just kind of explore, see what's around. And I was seeing a bunch of schools of crappie. And I would obviously I wouldn't fish for them just because obviously I'm chasing bass. Well, after two and a half hours of nothing, and i saw I actually I saw a couple of schools of bass, but they were so sluggish, and it was cool, mega live. I could tell the difference in the bait, like I could see the shapes of crappie, but with cool with the bass, and I could tell they're a decent size because you could literally see their tails kicking. That was freaking awesome. Uh, but because I couldn't catch him, I decided, screw it. You know, if I'm going to go drive an hour back home, I'm going to go play around with these crappies. So I picked up a Domeki rig and started catching crappie on Mega Live. And and I decided to use it. I was like, you know what? You know, if I'm here, I'm going to make use of my time and kind of got situated because with Mega Live, you have a degree difference in terms of where your steerable is. Mm-hmm. and then Also where the transducer, you have like a, an angle, like an offset. So I was trying to get used to like, getting lined up with that, making the right cast, where that situates up with where my screen showing and, you know, bait over schools, crappie. And that was, it was awesome, dude. Like one of the coolest moments I have it on GoPro, and I'll probably put it into a video on the new channel, but I literally dropped on a school crappie that were literally right under me. And I watched my Domeki Ray go down and I see one rise up to it and I don't see my bait pass it and it come, keeps going up. And then you know how crappie up bite. So yeah Reel down and reel into it. It was like, okay, this stuff is like And it was only yeah. like that big. Yeah, it was only like six <laughs> inches, but still it was kind <laughs> of fun. Um because like I've used Active Target, I've used LiveScope, but you know, finally right. having Mega Live and having it my own and not you know somebody else's, it's kind of a it's kind of a cool deal.
1: So I had a lot of fun with that. As uh Zach Hall once said, it's like a blessing
0: and a curse. It, it is a blessing and a curse because you can get so focused and so reliant on it that it screws you over. But I uh, went out yesterday with Forrest and we'll have to dive into this further later date, but yeah. went and saw some of my pets and uh, we said hello very fast and Forrest, the first one to, uh, to hook into one. And I, so Forrest is a pan fisherman for Forrest, folks who don't know who Forrest is. He's a good buddy of ours. And <laughs> this so as soon as we get there i see oh dude there's school of perch right like right below your kayak because he's in front of me and i was like dude just drop down to the perch and he i see his bait drop down he's using a freaking ice rod with a small little like tight like a, a 16th out trap that's meant for ice fishing and he hooks into one, and it's, it goes, and I'm like, that ain't a perch, dude. <laughs> and he hooks into like a four and a half pound smallmouth on his ice rod in a kayak in open water. And we had a riot yesterday. That's we,
1: hilarious. We I'm our, jealous. I missed that. Yeah,
0: we smashed on some smallmouth. It was a lot of fun. Forrest was laughing like a little girl with his ice rod in open water for big smallies. So it, was, it was cool. But yeah, fun. long story short, Andy, who are we getting on the show today? Tell the fuck
1: Spencer Sheffield from the Tech Warehouse Pro Circuit. Um, really excited about this one. I We enjoy getting these guys on because, I mean, it's not every day that we get the Tech Warehouse Pro Circuit guys on, so it's always a treat when we do. So And we're going to be talking a little junk fishing and his beginnings of fishing and bass fishing, so it should be a really good show.
0: Heck yeah. What do you say? What do you say we get Spencer on here?
1: Yeah. like He's been kind of in and out of the queue down there, so let's hope he
0: stays. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh let's welcome him to the stream yeah. here, Mr. Spencer Sheffield. What's going on, dude? Oh, oh you're re- muted. Muted. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, you? muted.
2: Oh my bad. Well, yeah,
0: there
2: yeah, we go. I, I lost you okay. there a couple times for some reason. It kicked me out. But what's hmm. up?
0: What's going on, man? Yeah. Oh, not much. So. <laughs> you been yeah. fishing or what? what? What's going on? In the- in the- I have.
2: I'm oh, well. Uh, you know, in uh, here at the house, in between tournaments right now, and uh, been doing a lot of crappie fishing. Our uh, and our crappie fishing's kicked off. I I start fishing for them about the middle of October and fish, fish for them all the way through May. And uh, and this this last three weeks, they've really pulled up and started getting on beds, and it's been it's been so fun catching them big crappie live, scoping them up there in that two to five foot of water, so. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely love doing that. I do a lot of guide trips, you know, in between turns when I'm home, taking taking guys crappie fishing, and and we do a lot of bass fishing as well. But I love catching them big crappie. We got a lot of. My live on Lake Hamilton, and and uh, and of course, Washtenaw's 15 miles north of me, and DeGray's 15 miles south of me, and and uh, so I can be on any of them lakes in less than 20 minutes. And but I've been going here to Hamilton mostly, been to De- DeGray a couple times, but. We catch a lot of two to two and a half pound crappie. I mean, just a ton of two, two and a half pound crappie. So it's been fun. We've been able to go out there and get our 60, you know, uh, every day we've been them dudes. Nice.
1: Now, do you have a good crappie recipe for us? So like the folks at home can uh, understand the best way to cook them up.
2: Man, I, I know a lot of people. I, I know they buy the Louisiana fish fry or whatever you get at Walmart or Bass Pro's got some concoctions of breading you can dip them in and stuff. But I make my own. I use I just use cornmeal mix, and I put some seasoned salt in it, some lemon pepper, uh, some uh, garlic uh, powder, onion powder. Uh, what else am I missing? A little bit of cavender. And I just do it to taste and uh, uh, Cajun season, a lot of Cajun seasoning and uh, seasoned salt. I'm sure I've done said that. And that's how I do it. Now I do my wife, she's a health nut. So she doesn't like to eat fried food a whole lot <laughs> and uh, don't bother me, but I, I'll take you to two oranges and, and one lemon, you know, and i slice them up and I'll put some more sliced oranges on the bottom over a lemonful. Put put them down Put the flays on top of them, season them up, and then put orange and lemon slices back over the top of them. Mm. And usually you can grill them about four minutes on each side. And Man, they're really good. They really, really are. Sounds juicy.
1: Man,
2: I'm salivating. Yeah, that I, I, ain't nothing better than fried crappie, in my opinion. I, I mean, I'd rather really eat them fried.
3: Nice.
0: So. Right this might be a really dumb question, but I don't think in my life I've ever witnessed a crappie spawn. Like, is it is this just like a simple bluegill spawn, or is there anything wrong no. cool to to
2: Their beds look a lot like a bass, honestly. They uh, around here, and uh, they don't really dish out a hole or nothing, just kind of a light spot. And they'll spawn every now and then, you'll see a group of 30 or 40 of them, but mainly they'll spawn around stumps or brush piles out there in that five to eight foot range on our left. Anything so vertical, really? yeah and uh they'll spawn in groups of eight to fifteen you know but uh you know a lot of our crappie right now the big females they'll go up at night and lay their eggs and i'm sure they do some during the day too but a lot of the big females are out around the brush piles in that 12 to 15 foot range but absolutely uh, yeah but uh the uh you know the the males and stuff are all up there in that two to eight foot range is where they're where they're at they're fun to catch, you know, hamilton has got a lot of boat docks, so they spawn around the docks on the poles and stuff big time, too. You'll find certain docks that just have a wad of them on it, you know, spawning. They're, they're black as a tire when you catch them.
3: That's crazy. <laughs> so yeah,
0: cool. yeah I, I don't know much about crappie, so, I like, I was just telling Andy on the introduction, like, one of the first times I've ever targeted them was literally this past weekend when I couldn't find yep. bass. Uh, Uh But yeah, I was just, I was just intrigued, but this is a show about bass fishing and obviously before we get too deep into this, you know, what's, uh, how'd you get your start? Like, how'd you even get into bass fishing in the first
2: place? Well, you know, yeah, I was just raised in it, man. Uh, My dad did it, you know, 28 years for a living. I mean, that's, he started at the age of 33 and, uh, he fished, uh, fished Bassmaster for 20 years and then he fished the FLW tour for eight and uh right, I took a bunch of extra class. I mean, I just start from the start. I mean, I I've never known anything other than bass fishing. I mean, that's all I've ever known. I mean, from the age of 2 or or sooner. As soon as I was old enough you could be something and have that passion and desire to be something when I grew up. It, it it's been it's always been fishing. So and whatever age was, I know that my dad had me on the water fishing tournaments with him by the age of four, you know. Uh, wow. So, I mean, I've always, always been in the sport of ice fishing and that's all I've ever, ever dreamed of doing. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I've always, that's, that's been my deal. But this is each year, uh, college courses, so my senior year, uh, when we wa- when everybody went on Christmas break, I was finished. And I started fishing co on the FLW Tour in uh, 2007, January. Started out on uh, Lake Okeechobee. And, uh, man, I've never turned back. I did it out of the back of the boat for five years. And then I went to the front of the boat in 2013. It was my first year as a, as a professional doing it out of the front. So I did it for, you know, six years i guess out of the back and then i've done it out of the front ever since awesome but that's that's all i all i've ever known i can remember you know my grandparents uh my dad's parents they had a big creek ran behind their house and i was down there on that thing all the time when i stayed with them and dad was off the terms my mom traveled with him and and, uh you know you know when i was at my mom's parents they had a couple big ponds and i was always on them ponds and You know, I always got to practice with my dad every year in the summertime for the Bassmasters Classic. I think in the 20 years he fished bass, he only missed the Classic three times. So, I mean, every summer I got to practice with with him for the Classic and, uh, you know, just always been in it, man. I grew up around all them guys, you know, so that's just it's always been a way of life for me. I've never known anything different. That's
1: That's awesome. awesome no jinx there bailey now uh now going way back do you remember like that first tournament like the first one you truly remember fishing with your dad like that day in particular that just like absolutely hooked you to the tournament side of
2: things i do not and and i know a lot of people remember that but the deal with me was is we fished the tournament every single weekend and then in the summertime, we were fishing a tournament every single weekend. And Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday nights, we fish tournaments, not tournaments. So, I mean, I don't remember the specific time. I don't even, all I can remember is when I was a kid, I I can remember just being a little bitty guy. I mean, I, I think I can remember I run around stealing diapers and I had a Snoopy pole and I come here throwing that sucker out in the ponds and i never forget, we went somewhere, my dad had to do a uh, a boat show or, or, or some kind of fishing show, and they had a, a, a pond there, and I remember throwing that little Snoopy rod out there with that little yellow plug that, you know, used to come on end of, and getting these three and four pound bass would come up and absolutely inhale that thing. Of course, I had no hooks, you know, but I, I distinctly remember that. And, like, I don't even know if I was old enough to really talk yet. I, I mean, honestly. But I, I just remember being a little bitty guy. And they, you know, throwing that out there. And I remember my dad going to his tournament, you know, when I was uh, younger, before way before I ever started school, uh, going being, you know, I'd be down there at the bank waiting on him to pull up to the bank. And I'd be throwing a Snoopy right out there and stuff. But, heck, by the age of four, I was using a baitcaster. So, I was actually catching them by then, you know. But, I can remember guys would, you know, back then, they didn't have really a release boat. They actually carried the fish down to the bank and just dumped them back in the water like they do on club tournaments. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can distinctly remember literally catching some fish as they're throwing them back. I would catch fish. I mean, believe it or not, I mean, I'm not kidding you. They would literally turn them loose and I'd just be throwing around out there and some of them fish would bite instantly again. I can remember that as as a little kid. I I distinctly remember one I caught on a shaky head. It was like a five-pounder, and uh, that fish had just been released. Somebody had just released it, I mean, just a few minutes before. So, and that sucker went out there and bit a shaky head, And, and it had just been released. I mean, she didn't have no fight to her. Like, she bit, I hooked her, and she just kind of come dragging in, you know, and I remember thinking, hey, you know, that fish just got released. You know, one of the guys was there or something said was talking about that too, but now I don't know, man. I can remember, you know, I, Dad always got a couple boats every year, free boats back in the good old days, you know, and and uh, there was always a boat there at the house, and if I went to at a tournament with him and I was back at home, I can remember uh, standing up on the front deck of that boat, throwing at things with my rod, and pitching it in buckets, and and I remember I'd go out in the yard and gather up the five biggest pine cones I could find and put them in the live on, act like I was pulling them out of live on in front of an audience in the classic. And I would, I would put, put those pine cones in Walmart sacks and carry them up to Ray Scott so he could weigh them in. And, you know, it's just always been an obsession for me. That's, it's just so always cool. been like that.
1: So, man, that's awesome. Um, man, you know, just like, backtrack real fast you know that little zebco yellow fish you get what if somebody actually put hooks on that thing because that would have just been crazy that could have like started a whole new fad of fun fishing Uh, lures. and yeah with them eating it like pond fishing it would just been silly but fun
2: oh yeah no doubt you know and you know pond you know them fishing ponds and stuff don't get fished a whole lot they they'll bite just about anything too you know absolutely that was definitely where it started with me. I, I mean, I for sure, I can remember being a little kid and have a spinnerbait tied on or something with my little Snoopy rod when I, you know, started fishing. I'd throw it out there and reel it in and catch one. But I, I distinctly remember making myself learn how to use a baitcaster. I remember I was about, I, I, was, I was four years old. And uh, I remember my dad would let me reel in because, you know, using a Snoopy rod, we'd go night fishing and stuff. And he's throwing a big 10-inch worm or a big... Black spinnerbait with that number seven collar rod on it. You can't throw something like that on a Snoopy rod. You know, there's no telling what he had me tied on. I don't even remember. Probably that yellow plug didn't have no hooks on it. But I can remember he would hook in, you know, back then fishing was awesome. You know, you catch 35 pounders a night, it seemed like. You know, they're probably just two and a half, but they seemed like fives to me. Yeah. And he would let me reel them all in, you know. And I can remember I wanted to cast and do it on my own. And my dad, I remember one night he told me, he said, you're, you're not big enough yet to throw a bait caster. And I can remember that just eat me alive. And I I, I had grabbed one of his trying to learn how to do it. And he got on to me, scolded me about it I said, no, you, you can't use them or something. And the next day I, I got out in the garage. He didn't have a clue. And I remember getting one of those bait casters and I just started slowly messing with it and learning how to use it. And it probably about an hour. And I was actually casting that thing. And I remember going in and getting my dad and bring him out there and, and saying, "Look, I can use this," and I threw it out in the yard, and ever since then, I, I, you know, I would use the baitcaster, and that's when I really got to start fishing tournaments with him. Is once once I was able to use a baitcaster, so that's, awesome. that's so cool. Yeah, you proved dad wrong.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yep, that's
2: awesome.
1: Nothing like a little like psychological motivation. <clears throat> so
2: yeah, yeah, for sure, definitely, but. Uh, you know, it, it was it was awesome growing up with a dad that did it full time. You know, and growing up around all the all the greats, you know, and stuff. But uh, man, I'm going to tell you, my my fishing when I when I finally you know uh, got my own boat, I got my own boat when I was 16, and and uh, started fishing on my own and and learned what what I was as a fisherman. You know, who I was. Found myself on the water myself is when I really really you know. I mean, I always enjoyed it. Don't I'm not saying that, but that's when I really, big time, got into fishing. You know, yeah. because growing up, all we ever threw was a big half three quarter ounce jig, a spinner bait, and a and a rattle trap. You know, I mean, that's all we threw. I mean, Dad yeah, didn't throw drop shots and swim baits and and a lot of that stuff. So I was able to come back home after I started fishing Co Angler, and uh, a lot of these guys I was drawn out in the West Coast, like a Gabe Bolivar uh just occur i mean there was multiple guys i drew from the west coast that i started learning a lot of these finesse techniques and i can remember coming back home with them and just absolutely just started winning so many tournaments as a 17 16 17 18 year old kid um using these finesse techniques because our fish have never seen it you know and i can distinctly remember when i first started winning multiple tournaments uh, not tournaments and weekend tournaments. You know, my dad. I was beating him consistently. Oh. I remember he, he, are you catching him? What are you doing? You know, and I remember I keep that stuff as secret as I could. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell him nothing. Big caster
1: payback. Uh, we'll call that one.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I, I kept a lot of it to myself, and I was really fortunate that I ran into a guy. I, I was big into golf in high school as well, and I ran into a guy that had moved out here from California, and he liked fishing, but he wasn't very good at it, And but he still liked it. And he was really good at golf, and we started fishing some tournaments together because I, I didn't want to really fish with anybody from around here, and uh, he had a cousin that moved out here from California, and that guy was superb at fishing. I mean, he he was more than good enough to do it professionally, and he showed me so many things. I mean, it was because he had, he had fished. For 25 years out there in California, he knew all the little tricks, those finesse tricks, and uh, he's the one who introduced me to Mega Bass jerkbait, which was in like 2005. That was before you know it didn't even it wasn't even known about really in this part of the country until like 2011. It had the big 10. round eyes on and, those uh,
1: ones, the original. Yep, ones,
2: and man. a lot. Yep, and and man, I'm telling you, it was it was unreal it was it was like the a-rig when it first come out i mean i can remember taking the mega bass to some of our lakes around here and i mean you caught bass on more casts than you didn't it was it was unreal how easy it was and uh man it was just i learned a lot of stuff from him though especially on the spinning rod side of things and and i guess that's where it's, i've really grown to really like finesse te- techniques the most and uh, i'm just telling you i mean i say it all the time i tell people i I would really catch a 30-pound bag on a spinning rod and eight-pound line than I would a casting rod and 65-pound braid. I love catching them on a spinning rod. It's just more of a challenge. It's uh, more of a rush. I mean, you know, you hook a five-pound or a 65-pound braid, I mean, you can make quick work of it. But with a spinning rod, you got to play that fish mm-hmm. more times. Not, And it's not that you're worried about breaking your line. I mean, that's never the deal. It's about pulling the hook out more than anything because you're using a super light wire hook, and they jump ten times more. You know, and uh, so that's just why I like catching more spinner rod when I do a catch.
1: So that would explain the Phoenix Spin-rod. rod correlation there, because they're a West Coast company, and a lot of their rods are lighter action. So it kind of fits that <clears throat> style, right?
2: Yeah. So. Well, no, that's not. No, I mean it, it does. Their rods are excellent for that. But no, that's not how I become with Phoenix. I I was actually. With uh, 13 fishing and uh, my first two years as a pro, and their rods had were more of an extra fast tip. Uh, I don't like a real moderate rod or a, a flimsy rod on that last three guides. Like I like my rod to have a lot
0: Oh boy! Starting to lose him here. Yeah. Lot
2: the Y- y'all hear me?
1: Uh, you kind of cut out there first. You a got second. me. Now we do. Uh,
2: uh the uh uh the the deal what I... it does, what it
1: I... does not like him. <laughs> it does What's not saying? like Spencer.
2: <laughs> uh, 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 uh.
0: You there, Spencer? Oh boy. Our connection here is, is not a fan of Mr. Spencer Sheffield. No, it is not. <laughs> I think he was going on to say that he doesn't like an extra fast tip and kind of yeah. but I'm trying to talk about that correlation or I think from moving from thirteen to Phoenix. You got us now?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I got you now. Uh so the deal was is with me and thirteen I had some disagreements. So I, I got on a search again for another rod company and Phoenix was the was. The rod company that had the action like I liked in a rod. I know a lot of guys like a more parabolic, moderate action rod. I like a more extra fast tip. That's just I've I, that's just that's the kind of rod I like, and their rods are just like that. I mean, they have that. Most of their rods are pretty extra fast action. The the models I use, the, like the M one, uh, the K two, the the Recon Elite, the Feather. I mean, most of them have a have a pretty extra fast tip, uh, and so, I, I just, that's, that's kind of where I fell in with them, it's just a rod I liked, and, uh, just so happened they were a west coast rod, but I've been with them for like eight years now, man, and it's, they've just, they've been so good to me, and, and I absolutely love their rods, you know, I mean, I just, I have to have a lot of confidence in the stuff I use, I mean, that's part of, part of it, you know, being able to be successful in waters, have a lot of confidence in your gear, and and enjoy what you're using not just using it because they're a sponsor but actually using it because you love it you Mm -hmm. know and and i really really like their their rods i mean i just i love their rods so
3: yeah
1: Yeah, Uh, go ahead andy i was gonna say i i I enjoy phoenix rods too i actually ran a couple last year because i kept breaking Mm -hmm. other rods so they were at the sportsman's warehouse closest to me was well, so i went and grabbed a couple and they're they're nice i i think bailey liked a couple of the ones i had too so
0: yeah i mean there's yeah. a, thing a lot of guys talk about is you know obviously you can have your sponsor plugs and whatnot they're gonna pay you money to use their stuff but uh mm-hmm. the, the, nothing beats the state of mind that you have when you have confidence in your gear that way when you make a mistake it's not on your gear it's it's on you and that kind of gives you as an angler a better peace of mind knowing that your equipment's yeah. not going to be the reason why you fail which is never a fun thing to go through yeah especially at your level
2: no yeah and, and I mean it, it really is having confidence in your stuff i mean I, I use Daiwa reels I have absolutely zero deal with them uh I actually i've had i've had real companies offer me deals and uh I've tried them and I just don't like them but i lo- I love Daiwa reels so that's why I use them uh, I am actually making a switch next year to a, to a new reel company and, and their reels are legit, but uh, that's something in the future to talk about. But I I, I mean, I'll just use what I what I like and what I have confidence in. 100%. And, uh, even if I have to, even if I have to buy, I mean, that's just, that's just the way it yeah. is. Well,
1: yeah. I feel whenever you roll on into an on the water situation, if you're 100% confident and All of your equipment, boat, rods, reels, the more confident you can fish because you know nothing's Mm going to happen. So, and that puts you ahead of half of the people because most of people, not at your level, but at like any level, are more worried about the outside variables. Like, is it going to rain on me today? Which is it going to be windy? I want to be slick, calm. But when you get to your level, you can't worry about that stuff. You just have to worry about where you're going to catch them, not how.
2: Yeah, you have to have a lot of plans. You know, when I go into a tournament, I look at the future forecast, and it ain't always 100% accurate, but most of the time it's it's going to be pretty close. You know, they might say the wind's going to blow 15 to 25 first day of the tournament, three days ahead of time, and it blows 15 to 20
3: mm-hmm. or something,
2: you know. Or they might say it's going to rain all day, but it only rains half the day. I mean, you know, but most of the time it's pretty close. And I really try to plan my practices on what it's showing we're going to have for the tournament. Like we were at Harris Chain for our last event. Uh, In practice, the weather was was nice. I mean, 85 degrees, you know, the fish are active, the water's 75, 72, 73. Uh, But I knew we were going to have that mega cold front come in. It was going to be like 33, 34 first more of the tournament. So I practiced and looked for fish that were already in the places that I knew they would be when we got a cold front so i practiced deeper Mm -hmm. uh because i knew those deeper fish wouldn't be affected as much now you could go up around the bank with a buzz frog and i mean tear them up i mean you you get getting 50 bites a day on a buzz frog but i knew that that wasn't going to be a factor in the first day of the tournament anyways because it's going to be cold that morning in florida fish just they really get inactive when you get a cold front like that and you know come to find after looking back at it now that cold front Affected on the least I've ever seen a cold front affect Florida fish, but they still weren't jumping on no, you know, BuzzFrog or nothing the first day of the tournament. But I'm just saying in practice they were, but I didn't spend a lot of time. I didn't spend any time doing that really because I was like, hey, this ain't gonna work come tournament day. So we need to find these fish out on shell bars, brush piles, uh, catching them on a jerkbait, Carolina rig, drop shot, things of that nature, because I know that will work after this cold front. And, and that's the kind of stuff you have to do, and, and I mean, that's that's it, it played out perfect because first morning of the tournament, you know, I mean, it's 35 degrees, and and the places that I had bite, had, had a bite or two on uh, in practice, even though the majority of the fish were up in that Kissimmee grass biting buzz frogs and, and flipping and stuff, when it had gotten cold, uh, all them places I had a bite or two in practice when the weather was nice, I had eight to ten bites off of in the tournament. Yeah, and uh, it's just one of them deals. You have to practice with confidence knowing that you might that might not be the deal right then uh, in practice, that's going to be the deal in the tournament and uh, I had yeah. to get a few bites out there and practice to have confidence in doing it in the tournament So it's pretty much just setting yourself up for the variables that you knew you were going to be faced with and uh, That's what you got to do a lot of you know out there on the tour is you got to plan for ahead because there's nothing worse than getting on an awesome bite and practice. And then tournament day, the weather's completely different. And you and you already know that's not going to work. Yeah. And you didn't prepare for it in any way. And then you're like, dang, now I've got to practice today. And I yeah. mean, I still, mean even when I have a great practice, I know I've got them dialed in. I always, in every, every tournament, it seems like you still have to practice yeah. a lot during the tournament to catch them. Yeah. You know?
1: It almost seems like the perfect segue into what yeah. we wanted to talk about with junk fishing. But I'm um, like... It's good to have plans A, B, C, D, and to know where they're coming from and where they're going to and why. And that's where it sets up that way. So, like, at the Harris Chain, it sounds like you did have to do some junk fishing, right? So, like, to fish your way around to get into them. So, like, getting into that, when you're looking for those spots to catch those fish based on the weather conditions, like, what are the first three baits you'll pick up in that situation no matter where you are like your three confidence baits and kind of run with it in a practice situation to prepare for the tournament
2: well a lot of it depends on species i mean if i'm one bait that works no matter what the species is whether it's largemouth smallmouth or spotted bass that's a drop shot Mm -hmm. it's going to catch them no matter what i mean i'm I'm gonna tell you right now in the course of a year if i weigh in 100 bass on tour 85 of them comes on drop shot Plain and simple, especially since four facing sonars come out. I mean, it is such a deadly technique being able to see fish and throw to them. When you can throw that sucker and land it right on top of their heads, they just bite it. I mean, mm-hmm. now, if you're out there just dragging it around in a course of a day fishing, I mean, yeah, you're still going to catch them on it. But uh, you can't cover enough water with a drop shot to be as effective as you can if you can actually just see the fish and throw straight to him. Uh, you're able to just cover so much more water with it But I always start with a drop shot and you know, it doesn't matter if it's a shallow muddy body of water or If it's a deep clear body of water, they they just eat the darn thing. I mean they eat a drop shot uh, Another thing for me usually more on the power side of things, but a chatterbait That's something that usually works no matter what uh, Unless the water is just gin, gin clear, you know but most places we go, you got a little color in a chatterbait. Even when when they're feeding really good, they eat it. And when they're kind of in a docile mood and don't really want to bite, they eat it because it's a reaction bite. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, things a lot of vibration, puts out a lot of noise, and moves a lot of water. It just kind of makes them react, kind of like a, you know, a, a, a trap would. Uh, so I've always, you know, a chatterbait's something I've always got tied on, and it, and it seems like no matter, like I said, one of them days where they're just really biting. Or one of them days they're not biting. It just you, a chatterbait always gets bit, and uh, man, I don't know. I mean, probably an eco rig or something like that. You know, uh, I, I, I've got you know, I usually throw a, a a thirty second if I'm fishing shallow with an eco rig, and like a three sixty fourth if I'm fishing out deeper with it. Uh, a little arc tungsten nail weight, putting ahead of a trick wire. Uh, That's another bait that catches them really good, you know, especially largemouth. They really like a Nico rig, and uh, that's that's usually my my three go to, you know. What's your hook? Depending on for the Nico, yeah. I use the size two VMC Nico, uh, the weedless Nico hook. I like the one that's got those two little pieces of mono Mm -hmm. that comes off of it. That's the only VMC hook I use, and that's uh just for the Nico everything else I'm a gammagasu guy other unless I'm throwing a trap or bait then I like the must-have triple grip hmm. All
3: right
1: so is that because they're the short shanked trebles? you just feel they get better grip on them and they, the fish can't throw them as well instead of like a traditional round bend
2: well on a jerk bait I like it Aaron Martin's Nano that uh that hook you know that the, the fin- Gness yeah yeah, yeah the the the, the what the G finesse? What it, I've got a, a million of them right here. Yeah, I think they're G
1: finesse.
2: Yeah, G finesse. I don't like the medium heavy. I like just the regular one, the original yeah. one they come out with. That's where I throw on my jerk baits and a lot of crank baits and traps, especially the dual reality stuff. They come with them hooks, but I don't like them on a crankbait or a trap. Uh, about five, six years ago, I really fell in love with throwing a lipless, and I started winning a lot of tournaments around here in the winter and spring throwing a lipless. And every day I would still lose a couple big ones, and I just started going through treble hooks. And the one treble hook, it seemed like I lost the fewest fish on with a must-have triple grip. <laughs> so, I mean, go figure, Van Downs made his living throwing reaction baits, and that's the hook he supposedly uses. And, I mean, it works. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just uh, I don't lose fish on the triple grip very often. Now, I do not put it on the topwater. I like a round bend hook on my topwaters. Hmm. But on, on a trap and a crankbait, bait, I lock that that tr- that must have triple grip. That's
0: so, always a fun conversation. Is diving into the science behind what style of treble yeah. hook to be using when, and that's sometimes it's like getting those conversations. And some days it makes sense, and then some days it's like way over my head. Like, it's, <laughs>
2: <laughs> just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that you know, and that that goes to me. Believe me, I'm telling you, right now. there'll be a hundred people listening to this probably and say, man, I know hooks way better than that. But that's what works for me with the yeah. rod I use and the way I fish, the way I lean into them when I get bit, that's the hook that works for me. You now, somebody else might jerk a little different than I do. They might reel it a little different than I do. They might use a totally different rod than I do. And that hook don't work very well for them. Yeah. But for me, it works the best. And that's what I tell everybody. Man, I mean, you got to figure it out for yourself because... I can tell you what works for me, but that's not necessarily going to work for you. No. You know, uh, there's just there's a reason I do what I do, and that's because that's what I've had the most success mm. with. And I've tried. I mean, I literally spend five days a week on the water, and so I go I go through a lot of trial and error. I purposely use stuff I know that's not going to work as good as something else I already do, but I do it to prove it to myself that I'm still doing what works the best for me. Yeah. You know, and so that's what I tell people. You just got to learn it for yourself. You know, I got an argument the other day with somebody telling me I, I, uh, spool line on my spinning reels wrong. I never get line twists ever. I've never had line twists on my spinning reels and I've reeled it on the same way every time, you know, but that's the way it works for me. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the way it works for me. So, uh, I mean, I, I, you just got to do what works for you and, and yeah. not worry necessarily about what everybody else says. I've so this is
0: hilarious. because So I've tested this theory. You know the people say if you if you reel it on with the line on top, it's different than the line on bottom, and they'll tell you like you'll spool up. That is a load of BS. Like I've tried yeah. both and they've worked just fine. I think you just suck.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well,
1: and then you get the people that are like you have to throw the spool of line in the water and then keep like
2: warm water. Yeah, you know,
1: yeah, warm water and keep all the pressure on yeah. it as you reel it onto the reel. But I'm like. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me either. Like,
2: <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm when a spinning reel. You're supposed to lay it, and it's supposed to come off the spool the opposite way it's going on your reel. But, dude, I reel it on my spinning reels with it with the the spool going like just like you would if you're reeling it on a baitcaster. I've done it like it for 30 years, 25 years, whatever, and I have never had line twist, not one time ever. And I mean, I use a spinning reel and rod nearly exclusively. I really do, and I have no issues with it so, whatsoever.
1: Are you a braid to fluoro guy, or are you a straight Absolutely. fluoro guy?
2: Nope all yeah. it's it's fifteen pound braid to uh, uh, six to ten pound fluorocarbon leader. Depending down down there in Florida, on my Nico rig, I was using twelve pound fluorocarbon leader, but on my drop shot, I was using ten, and most of the time, I'm using eight. But and that's another thing, braid don't hardly twist, anyways. No. So it don't matter which way you reel it on your dang spinning reel. It don't twist anyhow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if I ever do notice my braid might be getting a little kinky or twisted, I cut my leader off and I let it all out behind the boat and I idle three or four hundred yards with or run with it on pad, straighten it right back out, reel it in, tie my leader back on, and you're good to go in less than five minutes. You know? And it's as straight as it can be again. <laughs> Man, so that's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, the deal is, is, it doesn't matter how you reel it on. Once you make a it cast, it's all coming on the same way, anyways. That's
0: right. You
2: know,
1: it, so, and the leader, a lot of the time, is just barely under your reel.
0: So, why? Exactly. why does it matter? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, exactly. getting back to the topic of junk fishing, because I think well, we can talk about baits and all that crap for hours. Um, mm-hmm. For in, in the spirit of, of junk fishing, it, you know, is that something? you know, in practice that you kind of get a feeling for or try to do just to have multiple things going, or can you kind of get an indicator, you know, going into an event, whether it be weather or whatever variable that it's going to be kind of, you're going to have to have multiple things going and, and junk your way through a specific term. That makes sense. It
2: seems like I'm always junk fishing, honestly. And I don't like to, <laughs> uh, I, I don't like to refer to myself as a junk fisherman. I, I really like, getting with one or two things and sticking with it and that's what I try to do uh but I like when I roll up to a place to see what all I can do to get bit so I mean if there's a lot of good shallow cover I'll throw a chatterbait topwater flip it you know see if I can get bit doing that I'm always going to look for that you know drop shot live scope bot or jerk bait live scope I mean You just have to nowadays. It don't matter what what kind of body of water you're on, there's going to be some sort of fish suspended or holding out offshore that you can catch doing that. And uh, it just seems like that's where your better quality fish is, you know, where your better quality fish are eight out of 10 times is offshore, no matter where you go. Uh, Most of the time, unless they're all up on the bank spawning, which is rare. There's still a bunch of them out either way. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, I do. I, I like to fish what's in front of me and what looks good. I like to run down a bank with a chatterbait and a little buzzbait and frog and flip. But it's just, it's funny because when I'm fishing here around the house, all I do is power fish. I really ever ever have a spinning rod in my hand. But when I'm on tour, I really ever have a casting rod in my hand. It's always a spinning rod. Mm-hmm. And it's just so funny. I, I guess that's the difference in really knowing a body of water and not knowing a body of water that well. Like here around the house, I know... Every inch of all these lakes, I, I swear I've caught every bass out of all these lakes twice, it seems like. But uh, I know I, I'm okay with only getting 10 bites a day because I know what I'm doing. When I do get that bite, it's going to be a big one or, or a good quality fish. But when you go on tour, you know it's a four-day event. you got to figure out the population of fish. You can't just fish for big ones. You can, but if you do that every tournament, you're going to finish in the hundreds most of the time but because those guys are so good at figuring out the majority of the fish and it just seems like you go to a place you 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 know spinning rods usually the answer i mean of course the guy that wins the term is almost always power fishing i mean that's just that's the facts of of life out there on the tour is usually the term it's going to be one power fishing don't want to go bait or a swim bait or a chatter bait or, or or you know something of that nature flipping uh but, you know, I've had the majority of my success exclusively with a spinning rod. I mean, I catch them, don't get me wrong, I caught uh, five of the 15 I weighed in down at Harris Chain on a chatterbait. You know, I caught uh, all of them on a drop shot and an eco rig the first day, but the second day I think I weighed in, I weighed in three on a chatterbait, and, and then the third day I weighed in two on a chatterbait. So, I do a lot of that too, don't get me wrong, uh, especially if I'm in a body of water's got a lot of grass or a lot of docks. I catch a lot of fish, power fishing, but. For the most part you know um i like to just stick with a something on a spinning rod like a little three or three and a half inch swim bait or a uh a drop shot and eco rig and i just try to figure them out with that because once you figure out how to get them you know you figure out uh where the majority of the fish are uh they just don't turn down drop shots and eco rigs i mean they just eat it it don't matter if they're two pounds or six pounds i mean they just eat that stuff because they don't see it a lot you know
1: yeah Especially in Florida. I feel like it's it's almost Florida not talked about yeah, it's drop shotting yep. in Florida or Texas. So that's mm-hmm. that's really cool.
0: Do you think uh, here's a question for you? Do you think that junk fishermen I know you don't like to claim yourself as a junk fisherman, but people that are efficient junk fishing, do you mm-hmm. think they're more consistent and uh, have a longer we should say career in professional bass fishing because they can junk fish and they're
2: not one track minded.
1: Hope oh, he muted himself.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, for sure, because those guys are fishing strictly off instinct. And I, I mean, I, when I was saying, I don't refer to myself as a junk fisherman. I, I don't, I mean, I fish on the fly a lot. I mean, as far as junk fishing, like, I might in practice caught them running a certain type of point or a certain kind of bank with a drop shot. And it seems like in the tournament you end up having to completely scratch that. I'll still catch them on a drop shot, but it's on totally different type of stuff, you know, or something. Like I have to just completely fly by the seat of my pants. I'll have to run up and fish a dock or fish this point and then run out and fish that hump. And then, you know, you're still running around kind of clueless as to – not necessarily clueless. I mean, you're going off each bite, giving you a sign of what's going on that day. But I'm still doing it with one technique. Yeah. It might not be the same during the first, uh, the second day of the tournament as it was the first day of the tournament. But I, you know, I feel like it to me is kind of a that's somebody that fishes more. It, it, I mean, that's kind of a jump fishing deal, but more by instinct. I've always considered a true jump fisherman as a guy that'll run up on the bank, catch one on a frog, back out with a deep dive and crankbait and catch one, and then run back up and flip a dock and catch another one. And You know what I mean? Like, there's no rhyme or reason to really what he's doing. He's just running and fishing what looks good or, hey, I caught, I had a few bites on a frog, I had a few bites out deep, I had a few bites on the top water in between, and he just kind of does all of it all day long and makes it work, catches five decent ones. I, I've never, I'm not going to say never done it. Cause I have a bunch that kind of stuff, but it's, it's very stressful when you literally have no idea how you're going to get your next yeah. pot. Like, I just don't like fishing like that. I like having an idea of I'm going to catch them doing this, but it might be on different types of stuff than I called them yesterday. Like Potomac river last year, for example, you know, I finished 11th there. Uh, and the first day I called them fishing, uh, docks the second day i caught them fishing grass and lay downs and the third day i never caught them doing any of the three very good but i had to mix it all in i'd fish a little grass catch one fish a little lay downs catch one fish some docks and catch a couple uh caught some off seawalls i mean it was just so random yeah. you know i mean i just kind of had to throw it all together uh so i mean it, it can be rough out there i mean it it's stressful <laughs> yeah. on, on guys that are yeah. true junk fishermen, in my opinion. <laughs> Very stressful. Well,
1: well, I think the common denomination here is that junk fishermen can have many different definitions to them. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and virtually what it comes down to is you're able to fish the moment, right? And yep. be able to apply a technique <clears throat> or multiple techniques to different situations throughout the day. So you can't really hone into a simple definition of what a junk fisherman is it's yeah. somebody to me it's somebody who is openly adaptive to fish the conditions on any given day and allows the fish to tell you what is going on as opposed to trying to make the fish adapt to what you want going on
2: exactly exactly and that, that's that's kind of where i i kind of fit myself more in that category like you know it's you just got to go out there on, on tour because so many of these bodies of water you don't have a lot of experience on or you've only spent you know eight to ten days on them in your life and it's kind of one of them deals where it's never the same And you go back the next year or two years later you just kind of each bite you kind of have to piece something together okay this fish was on this you run two or three more blunt places or stretches or things like that and if you can get another bite or two pretty quick doing it and then you're like okay we're getting we're putting something together but a lot of times you don't get another bite doing it so you you scratch it you start running something a little different and you'll get a bite doing that and but I'm usually still kind of doing it along with the same bait. You know, I mm-hmm. like to take a bait that I know they'll bite when I do get it in front of one and just fish it on as much stuff that I like to throw that on, like, kind of like I said with a chatterbait. I mean, you know, some days you're catching them off docks on it. Next day you're catching them off grass or laydowns on it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's one day or the other, one or the other is going to be better. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. rarely ever just take off and everything you fish with it, it's working. I mean, you know, a lot of times you can put that troll motor on 70 80%, just haul off down a bank with it, you know, and you'll get a bot an hour. You know, that, that happens a lot of times. But there's always a rhyme or a reason to where they're at, too, you know. But it's just figuring out the complete puzzle. And the guys that win those tournaments usually see something in a bot or during the course of a day in practice or the first day of the tournament that really clicks them off, and I've been in that position where I should have won a tournament or almost won a tournament, and one little thing, I mean, something very small, minute happened in a bot, or something you saw that it just clicks, and you're like, whoa, this is so easy, and then you can run it all over the lake, and I mean, it's like there's no wrong, you can't do any wrong, you're like, how did I miss that, you know, I mean, it's so easy to catch them, you're catching 50 keepers a day, and a lot of them are good ones, and you're you're talking to other guys man i didn't get seven bites all day and i'm like dude they are biting like crazy out there but it's (laughs) something so small that's so easy to overlook you know Uh it's just so hard a lot of times we make it more difficult than it really is
1: well in the case of drop shot fishing too right it could be just sitting still dead stick in it or just shaking it a little bit or hopping it it could be the biggest difference in catching 50 fish or seven bites a day
2: yeah. Or the style of bait. I mean, yeah. that, that was a huge deal. Smith Lake last year when I finished second to John Cox, uh, the first two days I had like 12 and a half the first day, 10 and a half the second. I was using a, a, a uh, junior, um, in a, in a pearl white albino color. And, and I was still catching, but I was having a lot of fish go down on that thing and not eat it. The, uh, the third day halfway through the day, I'm still not really catching them very good. Uh, and I just, for some reason decided to make a little change and I went to a tiny fluke and I mean within 30 minutes I had 16 and a half pounds and I went right back out the next day and caught almost 18 pounds of spots by just making a little inch and a half adjustment I mean that's all it was I mean a tiny fluke was three inches long versus the super fluke junior being what four inches long yep you know I mean it was it was just that small of a difference but that made all the difference in the world you would have never thought it you know you would have never thought it
1: it sounds like smallmouth fishing to me, <laughs> in yes. a way. Yeah, because yeah, because there are days that they will only eat like like a Magnum Dream Shot type bait, and then there's other days where they want like a little two inch something. And you're just like, what the hell?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, and I've, I, the last two years, I've spent a lot of time up on Sturgeon Bay fishing for. Them. That's my favorite place in the in the country. I'm just telling you. And I've noticed it. I spent fifteen days up there last summer. And uh, man, it, it, it was it was pretty neat to see how they do it. One day they they the drop shot was a deal, and the next day they didn't really want a drop shot, they wanted an ed rig. I mean it, they didn't yeah. change. They just they they just wanted an ed rig versus a drop shot. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't know, it's really weird. But it's it's cool to see that stuff because you kind of make that little memory bank on that, and mm-hmm. you know, kind of make a little mental note to that. And the next time you're confronted with that situation somewhere, you're like, you know, I I remember two years ago, they didn't the day they weren't buying drop shot. It was all about the Ned root, you know. And then you can put that somewhere. You can use that knowledge that you learned, you know, two years prior, and put it to use. And man, sometimes it'll really pull you out of a hole. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's probably. It's similar to, you know, if we're talking about junk fishing too, you're going down a bank and you catch one off of a lay down and then you see one on live scope off to your right and you catch them suspended. But then you see a mat come up and you, you junk fish and you, you throw one in, you catch like a four pounder through the mat. And then you go down and you find another mat, say another hundred yards later, you catch another decent one. And then you kind of get onto that pattern of like, huh, junk fishing can kind of lead you to that what might be the more consistent, more yep. high quality pattern. Yeah. Just kind of that part of that exactly.
2: League. And and, and kind of my I mean, we, you know, with live scope, it's hard not to throw at every fish you see now. If you do get bit at some of them you throw at with a bait. But I'm the kind of guy that if I'm going down a bank doing what you're talking about, I'm going down a bank and I flip it a man, and catch a four-pounder, a fish out to my right on live scope and I throw it there with a drop shot and catch it and then I go on down a bank and flip another mat and catch another four-pounder, and then I see two or three deeper, and I throw at them, and they don't bite, then I'm the kind of guy, I'll lay that spinning rod down, i pick up that big weight, and I will do nothing but flip mats the rest of the day. You know, because it, I'll, I had two bites in a row doing that. And I mean, I try to get on whatever I feel like is the strongest bite for that day and stick to it because <laughs> – I mean, you know, so many times you can be doing the right thing just at the wrong time, but if you stick with it, it end up working at some point or another during the day. Yeah. You know, it's just a matter of getting in that right area, be doing it at the right time. You know, and so that's kind of what I do, you know. I, I try to go with the high percentage stuff. If I feel like flipping the mat's gonna be my best chance to get to the goal weight I need for that day, then that's what I'm going to do is flip mats all day, you know, unless it's just straight up not working, and then I'm like, okay, we've got to bail, I mean, on this, because we've got three hours left, and we're not catching them doing this, we've got to do something different, and it is still to this day, I mean, man, I spend 300 days a year on the water, and it's still to this day, it's hard to pull the plug on something that's been working so well, I mean, it's it's really hard to do that, you know, it just it just is, I mean, as a fisherman, mentally, I mean, I do it all the time, but. It's just so hard to see something that, man. Yesterday, this was working so good. Why is this not working today? You know, and it's just—it's mind-boggling sometimes. Mm-hmm.
1: It's called fishing.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> like, yeah,
1: for sure. It. it uh, I we all. I not to the level that you're at, but I mean, we all experience the, those situations. It's just. What I find is when you're able to become adaptive, it helps a ton instead of being like, I'm just gonna flip this jig for jig for eight hours all day because in practice that's the only way I got a four-pound bite, because that will shoot yep. you in the foot yep. more times than not. So
2: almost every time, yep, yeah, it will for sure.
0: Do you uh do you have a rule like so we're talking about that pattern when you realize I'm gonna flip mats because that's where my quality bites are going. Do you have a rule? I know some guys are like two fish are pattern or three fish to a pattern, or is it just like you have that feeling like, you know, it's going to be the deal.
2: I mean, you sometimes see it right off the bat. You're like, man, this ought to be the deal. And you do it for five minutes and catch a good one doing it. You're like, yep, I knew it. Uh, I've always kind of lived by that rule that one fish is a fluke, two aren't, you know, uh, two's a pattern, but sometimes it's only a pattern in that area it's not a pattern that works over all over the lake Mm -hmm. i mean so many times you go in a creek and that creek is the only creek on the entire lake that has that kind of cover you know so it's kind of one of them deals like you can't think oh i'm gonna kill them in this tournament because i can go in this one creek throwing a frog in pads and whack them well you might can in that one creek but what if 10 other boats has found that same thing that's not going to work more than likely so i try not to ever look, if if I get in an area that I know that's the only place that's got that, I basically already rule it out right off the bat. Because what I've learned even out there on tour is so many guys only want to fish what they're comfortable doing. And if if they're a guy that likes to throw a frog around lily pads, they're going to spend all their time in the one creek that's got them. And so you can already take it to the bank that them suckers are going to get hammered in there. So it's useless for you to be in there trying to compete with them doing it. So, you you know, I, I basically just try to, do my own thing uh i might go in there and get a couple bites doing it to just confirm that hey i can come here and maybe get about or two if i absolutely have to or maybe somehow miraculously nobody will be in here doing it and that there has been a time or two uh that it that it's kind of worked like it. you think man everybody's going to be in here doing this and then come tournament day you'll kind of creep by there, run into a different spot, and there won't be but one boat in there. You're like, good Lord, man, I can't believe there ain't 10 boats over there. Then you go in there and just, you know, smoke them. But more times than not, you know, if that if that available cover is just to that one creek, it's probably not going to be very productive in a tournament because everybody's going to fish it when they roll in that one creek and see it, and they're probably going to get bit in there too if you did, mm-hmm. you know. So, I I try to find stuff unique. I mean, when I go to a lake, I'm always looking for the off the wall something, something different that I feel like most people are going to look over. And usually that's going to be something with a spinning rod. For me, it just always is, man. I mean, everybody starts out with a chatterbait or flipping or a topwater. I mean, it's just what they start out with. And I do, too, most of the time just to see, you know, how, how long it takes me to get about power fishing. You know, if it doesn't take very long and I'm getting quite a few box power fishing, I would, you know, I mean, I'll I, I base it up then as, hey, it's going to be pretty easy to catch them in this event, you know. Uh, maybe by the third day of the tournament, they'll be a little bit more gun-shy, but for the most part, they're going to kill them just running the banks with a swim bait and a chatterbait in the top water this tournament, you know, the first day or two anyways.
0: Makes sense. Andy, yeah. what do you got left for Spencer before we – Hit them with our last question of the night. So
1: I guess what we can uh, go into here is you're coming into like almost halfway through the tackle warehouse pro circuit. So what are you looking forward to the remainder of the schedule? And then uh, we'll go from there.
2: Well, Pickwick is our next one. I've always done well at Pickwick, but it's always been in the summertime when they're on ledges. This time they're going to be mostly shallow. So that'll be new new territory for me. I've been to Gunnersville three times, uh, twice as a co angler. That's where I fished my very first tournament ever as a pro, which Paul Ice won on a rig. That's where it became famous. Oh boy! Uh, <laughs> and I, I started there in 2013 was my very first tournament as a pro on Gunnersville. Finished 33rd. I swear I was only one in the top 35. I went throwing an a rig too, but uh, but that was in October. So, you know, I've, I've never been there in May. I have no idea what to expect going there in May. It'll be a complete, just brand new tournament for me, just like Pickwick. I've never seen the James River in my life. have no idea about it. Uh, and Champlain is the last one. And I would have won that tournament the last time we were there as a pro. But my darn motor fell off my boat. Uh, that day on the way back to weigh-in, I was not able to get back to weigh-in to weigh my fish, and David Dudley ended up winning that tournament. But so, and I've always done well at Champlain. Now I know it's changed a lot. I haven't been on Champlain in probably seven or eight years, so I'm sure it's all different. But it's always fish, you know, uh, strong to to the way I like to fish a lot, and so I'm looking forward to that one for sure. But, awesome. Gunnersville, out of out of the next four that are left, Gunnersville is the one. I'm not saying I'm concerned about it, it's, but the one I would be most concerned about, cause I have no idea what to expect going there and make, and I know they're going to catch them.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes having the most open mind in a tournament like that can actually serve you yeah. really well. So,
2: yeah, well, we'll we, them. that's what we're going to do. You know? Yeah. we'll we'll figure something out, you know? I mean, if, if not, I guess it just wasn't meant to be, but I, I mean, I, I leave it all out there on the water every day. I'm telling you, I mean, everybody out there pours a heart and soul out in it, but uh, I give it everything I got. I mean, that's basically what you have to do out there nowadays to make it. I mean, you have to give it everything. That's why, I I mean, almost every day here at the house, I'm spending something a day, you know, spending the day on the water because even on these lakes around here, there's something to be learned for a future tournament somewhere else. I mean, I learn so much every day on a body of water, even crappie fishing just seeing how they react to my bait, you know, and, and just, there's so much to be learned on, on the water. I mean, it's endless. It's just, you never can learn enough. Yeah. That's
0: a really
2: good
1: point. The day we stop learning about fish and behavior is the day we should stop fishing.
2: Exactly. Yeah. uh, And I'm telling you, man, I've never, I've never spent a day on the water. I learned something,
0: you know, Mm -hmm. unless you're a Lake Okeechobee shiner guide, then that's probably when you should (laughs) hang up.
2: Yeah. Speaking of that, I I was down there last year in a tour event. I pulled in this area where I found a bunch of good ones and I'm going down this bank fishing. I mean, I'm seeing some big ones swimming around. I can't get them to bite nothing. This guy pulls in with shiners. I mean, for an hour, they sit there and they're just every cast catching a three to seven pounder on a shiner. And I'm like, this, this ain't even right. You know, I just, I was, you know, I mean, ain't nothing they're doing wrong. I mean, they're out there to have a good time and a guy tripping and that guy's making his living doing that. But yeah. you know, it's just yeah. frustrating when you know they're there and you can't get them to bite. And yet guys are throwing live shiners out there, and they're just—I mean—the dang shiner hits the water and it's just
3: boosh,
2: you know, and freaking five pounders eating shiners left and right. And you're like, God, why can't just one of them bite my prop bait or my sinker or my swim jig? You know, yeah. just right. two, two of them. Stupid, you know. Ass it's just it's unreal i don't know man i'm telling you yeah it's it's crazy you know but i'll tell you something else that's frustrating that's that's that four faces sonar man it blows my mind at how many fish are really in our lakes i mean never even had a clue until you got it and there is so many fish that just don't bite no matter what you do they just will not bite it's it's crazy to me it's just uh it's a frustrating tool to have and know what you're looking at. And no matter what you do, you still can't get them to buy. You know, you might throw it 250 to get one of them to buy. You know, it's so frustrating.
0: Um, one of our, well, our other co-host who runs the the Monday episodes, Business from the Bass Boat, he mentioned to me, we were on the phone earlier and he asked me to ask you, about your live scope mount because he mentioned that you have a, a custom mount for your live scope. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I've <laughs> I mean, got a custom one. Yeah. To to, but he, he he asked me to
2: ask you what that's all about. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, uh, hey I'm here in my boat. I'll show it to you right now. I've got a, uh, and I, I don't know how well this, uh, this is show because it's kind of dark out right here, but I've got mine on a, on a ram mount. Uh, I don't know if you guys can see that at all. This is my oh, yeah. can y'all see that or yeah.
0: It's
2: it's a round there's a ram mount right you uh-huh. see round mount right here. And there's this is just the beast fishing innovations they've come up with this concoction here, but there's a mount here on the trolling motor shaft that's got a ball on it, this little ram mount hooks to the ball, and then we put a ball connect it to the transducer underneath. And the other end of the RAM mount hooks to it. And I can tweak this up and down, out, in however I want, and get angles that you cannot get with actual live scope mount. So, on that live scope mount, the one that actually comes uh, from Garmin, I think is 45 degrees. And I probably run mine at about 52, 55, I'm going to say, pointing upwards. And so I can actually see my jerk bait hit the water 100 feet away from the boat like it's 10 foot in front of the boat. And I'll never lose sight of it all the way back. And it just makes you so much more effective. Like so many guys can see their bait 50 feet out front of the boat and they think, man, I've got it dialed in. Dude, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm seeing what they're seeing at 50 at 100. And it's all because my angle is shooting a little further forward. Uh, the way that cone is on that on that Garmin, like you, you can see out a hundred foot in front of you if you've got it on the Garmin mount, but you're not seeing at the same angle I'm seeing. Like mine is shooting more upwards. And so I might lose a little bit on the bottom. Like a fish, the way I have mine set up a fish has to be about two to three foot up off the bottom before I'll see her. But I see everything better that top five foot than most guys would. And the reason that's so important for me is because being able to see that bait splash the water. And, of course, I've spent a lot of time with LiveScope. I mean, that's that's basically what I'm known for out there now. And it's not – dude, I mean, I, I was making top tens for LiveScope ever come out. It's – that's not I, – I, I genuinely love catching them using a live scope. To me, that's like a top water bite. It's the best thing there is, is to watch a fish go down on your bait. And, and then she's there when you pick up on, I mean, there's just nothing better reeling a swim bait across the top of one and just seeing her just shoot up off the bottom. You, I mean, there's nothing better than that to me. Nothing. That's why I'm so obsessed with catching crappie, but it, uh, to me, I, I've gotten where I don't have to look up anymore when I make that cast. I've got my distances on that screen. Just visually looking at that screen, I can make a cast in front of the boat and land right on that target every time out in the front without ever having to look up. But it's so crucial to land that bait in the exact same air, the exact same spot that fish is because if you're not getting the brightest return of your bait, at the same time you're getting the brightest return of the fish, if you don't have them both in the screen at the same time, and you miss her by three or four feet left or right, more times than not she'll never bite. And so being able to see that bait splash in the water instantly tells me whether I need to reel it in and throw a little bit further to the left or just a little bit further to the right. I can always hit the distance perfect every time. But sometimes the wind will push it a little more to the left or push it a little bit more to the right than I want. And I'll see my bait splash the water, but it'll be vague instead of bright. And if I've got the brightest return of that fish in the screen, I've got to have the brightest return of that bait splash on the top of the water. And that's why I run it like I do on that mount. And it gives gives me that better visual of the surface of the water. And I can see that bait splash out there instead of that bait having to sink. I know a lot of guys will tell you, I mean, I don't know if y'all run live scope or whatever, but you, a lot of, most guys will tell you, they never see their bait until it sinks about five to eight foot deep before they'll actually see it in the screen. It's already sunk five to eight foot deep before it actually comes into view out there on the end of their calf. Well, with mine, I literally see it when it splashes the water. I mean, as soon as that bait hits the water, I'll see it on the screen. And that just... Saves me an extra five to seven, eight seconds sometimes, you know, to be able to burn it right back in and throw it right back out there again, and so i make that perfect cast where I know I'm going to go down right on top of that fish. Efficiency, it's huge. Yeah, I mean that's and that that that's what it is. I mean it's that is a big deal, and I mean there's other reasons too. I'm sure. I just I get a lot better picture and I can see my bait from a lot further out with it on that RAM mount and that sown that that transducer pointed in that upward position a little bit more and so instead of sitting like that i've got it more like that Mm -hmm. and that just allows me to see a lot more efficiently at a lot further distance so scope at 60 70 foot front of the boat i can very effectively run it at 100 to 120 and so just think at the at the much more distance i can cover in a day Instead of only seeing seventy foot in front of the boat, I'm almost seeing twice as far in front of me as most guys. So I'm probably seeing twice as many fish in a day to throw at.
0: Wow, I think awesome. that looks kind of cool with that forward facing. Um, I've used Target, I've used LiveScope, and I own Mega Live now. But like with the ranges in terms of feet, I think it's interesting to see and put into perspective how like people think, oh, 80 to hundred feet, you know, they think it's like a bomb cast when really it's it's not that far away. Like it's, you're not putting all your effort into making a hundred foot cast. I think that's, what's kind of crazy. Like, especially no, when you're 40 to 50. I mean, that's basically an easy flip.
2: Yeah. yeah I mean, that, that's the distance. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of guys might say, Hey, I mean, hundred feet, I can't throw a jerkbait hundred feet, but I can tell you right now, I run my live scope on 120. And almost every time I make a cast with a jerkbait, I'm watching it hit out there at the end of the screen at 115, 118 feet. And I mean, that's, that's just a normal cast. I mean, it's not like it's bombing one. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess maybe to to some, but I I use my real zero breaks. I mean, absolutely. I keep everything backed off on zero and uh, you know, so I can throw my stuff a lot further, I guess maybe, but uh, that, I mean a normal cast with a drop shot is a hundred feet. That's a normal cast with a drop shot that I'm making. When I, when I bomb one with a drop shot, you know, it's, I mean, you can throw it out there at 120, 130, but effectively with a drop shot, 100 foot is where I want to be. 90 to 100 foot on a cast. It's a good point.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Andy, anything left for Spencer before we hit him with the last question?
1: I'll go ahead and hit him with it.
0: All right, Spencer, we're gonna we're going to let you go here in a second, but we have one last question for you that we give to everyone that's new to the show. Um, and that is, if you could sit down, have a beer and a steak with three, uh, different individuals, they don't have to be fishing, but, uh, if you sit down with three different people, have a beer and a steak and pick their brain, who would you invite? That fish? They don't have to fish. They could be an athlete. They could be a scientist. Doesn't, doesn't matter.
2: Dang it, man. (laughs) That's hard. (laughs) Oh, uh. And you stumped me with that question. I, I don't I don't know. For some reason Tiger Woods comes to mind. I don't know why. <laughs> I guess just because he dominated golf for so long. I'd like to know where did he lose his brains at? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah they could be the alive hundred years ago. It doesn't matter. They can it, it's open to yeah. anybody that existed. Or not existed. Yeah. You could do a cartoon character if you really if you feel like it.
2: Yeah i mean i I would probably I don't know sit, sitting down with a, a George Washington would be pretty cool you know yeah. something like it i, I, I and, and and you know I, just figuring out if they even bass fished back then if they even knew what a bass was what did they call it back then a cart you know yeah. I mean they you know uh somebody like that and and uh I don't know i I wouldn't mind sitting down with like a Billy Bob Thornton too, you know. He he actually used to live with my mom and dad, so I kind of I kind of liked it. He lived with them for two years. They uh, my dad he used to play bass in a in a band, and Billy Bob would set up all the stuff. And he always told them before they uh before he left, he said, "I'm gonna go to Hollywood one day and become a movie star." And everybody just you know they all kind of laughed at him. Said, "Billy Bob, you you ain't gonna be no movie star." One night they came home from from a gig or something he packed his stuff up and said i'm i made it to hollywood and they just kind of laughed at him and dad said next time they see him he was on tv
0: (laughs) that's awesome
2: (laughs) Uh, i wouldn't mind sitting down with him too
0: yeah yeah Yeah, what the heck did you do when you got there
2: (laughs) yeah i know Uh, i I don't know nobody i I guess though honestly nobody really in particular i've never really kind of put thought into that and, and thought about it a whole lot i guess but somebody that dominated in a sport or something like that, you know, I mean, it's, I've always been really, I don't know. I'm not going to say influenced necessarily, but really into those stories about somebody that was kind of just come from nowhere and end up dominating at Something that they loved that absolutely just dominated the sport of what, whatever they were in. And, uh, you know, they don't come around but about once every 50 years in our sport, probably, 40 years. I mean, I can only think of three people, really, that's ever dominated. You know, I guess Rick Clun was one of them. I mean, there's always been a bunch of greats, but people that maybe dominated, like a Clun. A and then uh, Van Damme, I guess, you know, he really had his time. And now you're kind of seeing a Jacob Wheeler doing it. But mm-hmm. it's getting to the point now where it's really hard for anybody to dominate because everybody is so good. There's so much knowledge in the sport of bass fishing now. Everything's live. I mean, you, you can be a pro, basically, at a technique that you've never used before by just watching us do it for five hours on a screen, computer screen or a telephone screen. And you can see exactly how to do it, how we're doing it, and then take it and and, and learn it yourself in a day or two, you know I mean? Because it's all right there. I mean, everything is so accessible to the public now in fishing, uh, you know, so it's just one of them things where it's really hard to dominate in sport. And I have a lot of respect for anybody that can really be consistent in bass fishing now. I mean, you've got to be really good. It's just super hard to be really consistent in fishing anymore because everybody is so good, you know, and the fish are so well-educated now. Mm -hmm. I mean, so well-educated. We've educated them. It's unbelievable guys. I'm just telling you, they are, I don't, their brain may be the size of a thumbnail, but I'm telling you, they use every bit of it. Yeah. Their instincts are unreal. Their instincts are unreal.
0: That's for sure. Uh, fish.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're well, smart. I'm telling you. They're, they're a lot smarter than we give them credit. Oh, yeah. In fact,
1: yeah.
2: 100%.
0: Um, well, Spencer, dude, seriously, thank you so much for, for taking yeah, the time you. out tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to chat with you and learn from you. We hope to get you back on the show here. Um uh, recently we've noticed there's been a, a trend with people that get on our show that are professional bass fishermen that seem to do weirdly very well after our show so give a an event coming up i will yeah. look the route for
2: you yeah and hopefully get you back
0: out here <laughs> after you win
2: <laughs> awesome man that'd be great my next one's at pickwick in two weeks so i hope that holds true yeah. for me go
1: get it done man we'll be rooting yes, sir.
2: Yeah, i appreciate it guys thanks yeah. for having me on
1: yeah you have a good evening
2: You too. All right, Spencer, we'll chat with you later. All right, we'll see you all.
0: All right, take care. That was an interesting show. I mean, it's interesting to hear about the upbringing. Like, you don't hear a lot of guys, like maybe an Elton Jones Jr., maybe a – oh, gosh, who's the other father-son duo? Oh, uh, who am I thinking of? Well, I mean,
1: you could look at, like, the entire Lane family, right? Like, sure. siblings and cousins and stuff. And then you have um, Kevin Van Dam and Jonathan Van Damme, even though it's not mm-hmm. father-son, but it's, like, uncle-nephew. So, like, stuff like that. I feel like it's happening more consistently in our sport than it ever has. Or oh, Roland Martin, Scott Martin.
0: How did I forget that? How yeah. do I forget those two names? <laughs> Good gosh.
1: It happens.
0: It's been one of those days, man, I tell you. Yeah, I was going to say,
1: you look a little tired.
0: I'm whooped. but
1: Normally, that's me, so this is a nice change of pace.
0: Yeah, for (laughs) folks listening, I mean, it's Andy kind of led the charge for most of the show today, which was kind of fun. It was fun. I got up to show it, and I'm like, hey, Andy. Because Andy, it's been fun having him help me kind of schedule these shows and get people on and try to have a different track mind when it comes to showing you guys, you know, different content, different personalities. I had to show up. Uh, I was like 10 minutes for the show. I'm like, so Andy, you're going to lead this one today. <laughs> and I was yeah. ready. I was ready.
3: <laughs>
1: I had a feeling oh, because of the conversation we had right like for the Friday shows you want me to start taking the lead and scheduling those out so I figured I might as well have a plan and I mean I'll always run it by you first just because I want to make sure it's up to par but like I like how we're always on the same like brain wavelength like we work really well and that's why we're what like almost 300 episodes in now, which is insane to think about
0: for, yeah, for the entirety of serious. And if you want to talk about total episodes, including bonus episodes, like this is the 277th serious angler show. Yeah. So this is but our
1: 177th together.
0: I think it's more than that because so yeah, the fantasy fishing shows are all bonus oh. episodes. They're not factored oh. into that number. Yeah, yeah. Nice and is business from the bass boat, which is one of our segments for folks. If you haven't checked out a business from the bass boat segment, obviously, if you listen to the show, you see those are posted on Mondays. Th- those aren't even factored into the number either, because Deacon has his own tally in terms yeah. of show numbers. Yeah. So, I mean, we're over three hundred for sure in terms of total episodes on this network. But yeah. it's uh, as a serious angler in the uh, this deal, having anglers on you and I talking topics. It's been. 277 episodes, my friend. So, so let oh, me tell no, you this. No, no I'm wrong. 278. Wow. So, no, let's hey, I'm just wrong t- I'm, I'm wrong again. It's 279. Was it 279? <laughs> We're filming oh earlier God. in the week than usual, folks. Yeah, uh, so so. it's 279. We're almost at 300. Well, Maybe so we like, should do a
1: party for 300 r- random pundit here, right? Like if somebody just started listening to serious Angular today, and wanted to start at number one, you're looking at a full year's worth of episodes just to get caught up. If you listen to one episode a day. So good luck. You get know, it's really
0: crazy for somebody. So, so you should listen to one of the episodes we've done either. Now, obviously you're, if you're listening to this, obviously you're listening to it now, but like one of the episodes from like this past month, yeah. Where we've come a long ways. Where you go way back to like it's one of the first ten, and yeah. it is a night and day difference. Like oh, yeah. it was me in a Zoom meeting, like that was crashing on me every ten minutes, and having to look them together, edit it, <laughs> and I didn't have a microphone. I was using like a laptop camera, like it was absolutely straight. It was OG, hot garbage. hot garbage is what Hot it was. garbage
1: Bailey love it. Hot garbage, but yeah, yeah,
0: it seems like ages ago when it's really,
1: yeah,
0: it was what two years, two and a half. Yeah, years? we're
1: coming up in two years of being together before we brought on Deacon in what July I think we figured yeah. it out is. Yeah, so almost two full years, which is wild.
0: Yeah, it's good there. I mean, we appreciate everyone that joins this deal, and uh, I think we'll have to do some sort of party episode for yeah. 300. We did for Um, 200, so I guess we got to keep that streak going. Yeah, 100, 200.
1: It's time. So, yeah, that'd be a good time.
0: Maybe we'll have to get some uh, surprise guests on for 300.
1: Isn't that the point of celebration episodes, is like serious dangler stuff?
0: I don't know. Maybe we'll do a not so serious episode to celebrate that. But I was also thinking some serious because we could do uh potentially if folks are interested uh if you guys want to get five or ten minutes on this show reach out to us on social or email if you guys want to hop on and chat for a few minutes maybe we'll go live for that episode and get y'all on here to uh say hello talk some fishing tell us about your fishing story maybe we yeah. will have a uh, introduce yourself and then tell us like some of one of the I don't know. Maybe like oh, craziest a crazy, fish
1: story. Yeah. Yeah. Like,
0: like a co-angler story or one of the weirdest things you've seen on the water. Because I mean, honestly that should be a not so serious because there'd be some freaky stuff probably brought up.
1: <laughs> oh, I can only imagine from the yeah. stories I've heard from Jeff.
0: Yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh just, gosh. Oh. But yeah, folks, we're coming up on 300 and it's actually been pretty, you know, you, you bring that up now and that kind of is blowing my mind that it's been almost 300 episodes. Uh, but seriously, appreciate everyone that tunes into this deal because we enjoy it and we do it because you guys enjoy it. Uh, overall, it's a fun time. We like to spread education, knowledge, positivity, and fishing in this industry, and uh, which has been interesting. Had some, it's just been on my mind recently of uh, some people that like to just be negative, like publicly, and trash other things that have don't have any impact on them, but will go out of their way to negatively talk down or try to degrade what someone's doing. I'm not a fan of that. I don't want to be ever like in that company whatsoever. I just want to put that out there because I I was, it's been on my mind kind of recently. I see some guys that are really working hard at their craft, have their own thing going, worked it and grew themselves organically, never done a bad thing at all. And they're getting, trash down because they like one company over the rest which i think is ridiculous yeah. um, especially people trying to call them out for it because and those people are nobodies not that we're somebody but like i don't know it's, it's a whole tangent i could go on for a long be time humble
1: and nice and care about your neighbors and friends and everybody the world would be a much better place
0: yeah there's no need to take each other down they'd, if they've done nothing wrong with you i mean if you don't like their content, there's this great thing called don't watch it. Unfollow. Don't follow it. But like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, I think we're here to, in the fishing industry, especially but the world as a whole, Me, we're here to bring each other up, not tear each other down, yeah. especially when they've done nothing wrong to you. So it's, all right. It's just one of those things where I'm just not a fan, but again, this is a tangent that I could go on for hours and I'm going to opt not to for the sake of the listener's, That are probably like, this guy's crazy, and we're just gonna. They're probably already exited the show already. But I just (laughs) wanted to put that out there because that was on my brain and it's our platform, and I'm just gonna say it because I feel like it. So there you go.
1: (laughs) That's fine. We could have the truthism segment with Bailey.
0: Oh, if you wanna do a truthism segment, we could put a lot of people on blast, but because it's not my problem, they've done nothing wrong to me, I'm not going to because that would be something really
1: shitty to do. Everybody has demons, and it's just how you deal with them.
0: Yeah, and you know what? And On that topic too, we're here. We're going deep here. Uh, I'm not. You know, deep stupid, thoughts you know,
1: with Bailey and Brad. <laughs> You know
0: what? It really bothers me too. Is like that people that don't like other people because of a rumor or something they heard through murder. Yeah. Like it's, I, I. There's one thing to hold that into account, put it in your brain, keep it in the memory bank, but like. Don't judge like just because that person has done something to someone, that's a whole different story. Like if they're good to you, yeah. then don't yeah. treat them like crap because of what you heard. If they're treating you good, treat them back. Like it's,
1: and uh, don't go off a of hearsay because you never know the true story.
0: Exactly, you weren't there. Right. Obviously, some things are more legit than others, but yeah. just speak yeah. All right, we'll we'll, we'll end our deep session with that that. because good god who knows where we're gonna go with that maybe we'll save it for episode 300 yeah but either way folks we appreciate all of you guys and uh we will see y'all soon on tuesday night live well that was an awesome show hope you guys enjoyed it if you can and your app allows it